Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. used to say hey 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 how's it going it's good to be back solo you know before i was ever a uh, a radio host the idea of doing a solo show was something that like always terror terrified me you know like that day was going to come where the boss was going to call me and be like, you know what? Sorry, we don't have anybody to do the show with you today. You're going to have to do it yourself. Now, that never actually happened at 710. But, you know, here I am. I have a lot of guests. I'd say it's, I do about it's about a 50 50 split or so. But, um, you know, on occasion, I just like doing the solo show. I know you're all asking right now, Tom, what's up with the Orioles jersey, bud? How about this? Can you see that? Sometimes you're just putzing around the internet. You know, you have a lot of time. You're just putzing around the internet and you see a t-shirt, an orange one. I mean, how many of us wear orange regularly? Not me. And you say, ooh, that thing looks good. I remember that uniform. And you see that it's an Eddie Murray jersey, one of the great switch hitters of all time, Hall of Famer. So yeah, you know what? I don't know a whole lot of, a lot of people who wear Eddie Murray stuff. So yeah, I'll get it. I'm not wearing it because the Mariners happen to be uh, playing Baltimore and they're uh, postponed once again. It's not that, but uh, you know, just what I, I like. I like throwback jerseys. I saw. Um, I think it was was it Acuna? Yeah, Ronald Acuna of the Braves wearing the old. Like, uh, what era would you call it? The Phil Necro, Latter-day Hank Aaron, Atlanta Braves jerseys, where it's got, like, the blue all in the front, and then it's, like, white trim on the sleeves, and then it's reversed, I think, for home games. Look, a lot of these old uniforms, I know people think that they look ridiculous, but I like things that pop. Boom! There it is! Or whoop, there it is. I mean, this does that. The old Astro jerseys with all the colors did that. You know, maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm colorblind, but stark color infusion into uniform design, that's what I'm after. That's what I approve. Look, uh, colors and style and uniform design, these are all things we could argue. It's to each their own. I get it. But I'm just somebody who loves, you know, Things that I can see. What was that thing that the Diamondbacks... I'm not even sure if they're still wearing it or not. Those gray road uniforms. What the hell is that? Those guys look like they're on the chain gang. Picking up trash on the side of the highway. Who, I mean, who came up with that? Who approved it? Like, whose ass got kissed in order for that thing to get released to the public? I'd like to know. I don't know. Well, anyway. And by the way, I don't know that I'll be back on tomorrow, but... um, you know, when I go out of the house tomorrow morning, for example, I go to 
Starbucks or something, you can bet I'll still be wearing this shirt. I may wear it like all day tomorrow. And I might have worn it to bed last night. I don't know. Couple things real quick. Uh, thanks to all of you for giving this show a shot, a chance, in podcast form, audio only. It's funny. That's what most people do when they start up their own show, right? They go directly to podcast. They don't normally go to Twitch or YouTube or whatever it is I'm doing. I mean, I guess enough people go to uh, YouTube, but podcast is kind of the default, right? And uh, I kind of did that in reverse order. We'll see if that ends up paying off. But we got a really good response from you guys in that first episode with with Rick Riz. It was about half and half, about 30 minutes of Rick and then maybe 25 of me uh, solo after that. But it was a great interview. I had a I had a blast doing it. I always like talking to Riz, but uh, it's it's so funny when you work in radio and you're trying to measure ratings or number of people who are listening at once or whatever it is, you can never track it. You can't do it. It cannot be done. Okay? TV's slightly less absurd than radio, but you cannot do it because of their system. When it comes to the online broadcast, I have every number imaginable down to the hundredth of a thousand decimal point. I mean, it really is amazing. Where are you guys listening? How many of you? Are you on your phone? Are you on your desktop? Are you in your car? Are you on Spotify, Amazon? Where are you getting it? And the beauty of it is, in the end, for me to get paid, I can, uh, anywhere you guys listen, I just get to aggregate it, just add it up. You guys can watch it on Twitch. You can watch it uh, on YouTube. You can listen to it in podcast form. Doesn't matter. As long as you listen for at least 60 seconds at a time, I get credit for it. And we can add it up from wherever. So I suppose the more platforms it's available on, the better for everybody. So again, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you guys go to get your podcasts, that's where it is. Just search the Tom Wassel show and it'll turn up. And uh, I'm having a blast so far being partnered with uh, the Believe Podcast Network. They're terrific. Everybody I've met there is just awesome. Good engineers, great producers, good at the executive and um, we'll say uh, sales level too. They really seem to have their act together. You know, it's not an industry I've really worked in before. I mean, it's, it's the media industry and to an extent it's sports, but you know, there, there's trust that needs to be built. Like, do these people know what they're doing? Like, you, know, you talk to them for five seconds and you realize that they do. They, they, I mean, there's a lot of podcast networks. I saw, um, John Skipper, the former, what was he? The, was he the CEO? Yeah, I think he was CEO of uh, ESPN who got fired he and Lebitard, Dan Lebitard, are partnering up to launch their own um, podcast network. Or maybe they already have. I'm not sure. So there's a lot of them out there. But, you know, this is kind of like, remember the dot-com boom in the late 90s and early 2000s? Eventually it burst. That's kind of what we're in right now. We're in like the podcast boom. It probably, I mean, I know podcasts have been around a long time. But the boom itself when did that begin? Maybe, I don't know, 2012, 13, 14. And right now, we may be heading towards that point where it goes, ah, and we'll see who survives. I hope I do. With your help, I shall. 
I shall. All right, let's get to some topics here. What do I want to do first? We got Russ and vaccines. We got Alden Smith. We got you. I'm going to leave unions for last because this is a great example of just a conundrum we ran into time and time again at the station. The big NFL news today is this issue between the union and the owners. They're say, the union is saying, well, we want to minimize off-season workouts to as little as possible because of COVID and et cetera, et cetera. All the usual arguments. And it's fine. I understand. But <sighs> labor relations... Unless the topic of the day, like within that, I guess the subtopic, is so compelling. It's just one of those things that always turn me off. Like, I got to hear about DeMorris Smith and what his what his options are in terms of course of action. And, well, you got to bring, you know, they can bring forth this grievance and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's just it's soul sucking, is it not? Soul sucking. That's what it feels like. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that for last. Let's go. Let's go with Alden Smith here. Actually, because that's a, that's a as far as I can tell, a pretty positive story. This is Bob uh, Bob Condota's write up at the Seattle Times. Free agent edge rusher Alden Smith visiting Seahawks on Wednesday. Hey, that's today. Pass rush. You get, generally speaking, would you call the Seahawk pass rush of 2020 a problem? Something that improved, and that's worth pointing out. But it was, it remained a concern. It was never one of those things where check it off, don't give it a second thought. Never got to that point. But they didn't get better. And, you know, pass rushers, what's the cliche? They're kind of like, Pictures, you can never have enough of them. Now, here's the thing on Smith, because I was big on him at the beginning of last year. But this is something that I did not realize. Oh, shoot, I'm in the wrong place. Uh, Okay. He started in 16 games last year. Okay, good. But after, what was the game? Was it week three or four? That the uh, that Dallas played a oh, third game of the year. Smith had three sacks against the Seahawks in that game, and he looked like you know after basically essentially a five year absence, like he was just going to be a goner. But let's face it, that kind of talent can win out when applied properly. So he had three sacks that day. But guess what? Wonder how many he had total last year? Cinco! He had only two for the remaining 13 games of the year. 50 pressures. So... You know, yeah, we can have this debate about, well, as long as we're getting pressure, what does the sack matter? It's, it's both. I mean, you'd always like to get the sack. I think that goes without saying. And if he can be effective in pressuring the quarterback, I think he's always going to have a place in the NFL. 50 pressures, that's good. 
That's good. And he's going to be cheap as hell. So th this just strikes me as one of those why the heck not type deals. Now, it's early still. You know, we haven't we haven't had the draft. We haven't had mini camps or anything like that, which is not to say that you can wait forever. But, you know, is Alden Smith going to be a guy that you have to worry is going to be uh, scooped up? Maybe. Hey, look, and Pete, look, they're having their meeting, but it's not like Alden Smith needs to audition for uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They've been looking at this guy. I mean, they, they watched him against Russell Wilson for their first, what, five years here until he got himself in trouble and kind of played his way out of the league. So it's not like he has to, you know, go through and sell them on his abilities. I mean, I, I would love to hear, I would love to hear the counter argument. And for any of you who are on the chat uh, or if you want to shoot me a note on Twitter or whatever, what would be the counter argument? Assuming that Alden Smith is going to be cheap, to signing him. I mean, he's not going to be a drain on the salary cap. The pass rush is probably good enough where the team is not relying on him solely like they did. I mean, there's been certain times on this team where uh, sacks came down to like the, the play of one guy. Remember, like 2012, they had a pretty damn good defense. But Chris Clemens was really the one. I think he had 13 sacks on his own. And the next most was maybe eight, something like that. Um, and then, you know, Jadevian Clowney or uh, no, who was it? Rasheem, was it Rasheem Green that had like four? You get my point. Dunlap's here. Um... Who's the other guy? Uh, uh, Benson Mayo. Uh, you know, hopefully we get to see Daryl Porter finally make his NFL debut. I mean, there's a, there's enough um, there's enough on the menu. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna I'm gonna poorly construct a metaphor here. There's enough on the menu where you're not worried about lack of choice. That makes sense. Like, it's not like they're only serving burgers and hot dogs. You know, you got a, you got a fair amount of pass rushers on this team that should something go wrong with one of them, you can still lean on other guys. Now, there's a few that I'd rather not have things go wrong with than others. Carlos Dunlap would probably be chief among them. But look, Alden Smith playing at a clip where he can pressure the quarterback 50 times just on his own? Yeah, the Seahawks and basically every other team in the league could probably use that. In fact, I'm a little surprised that he is, I guess, presumably going to be as cheap as he is. You know, you think, I mean, pass, you said travel berries, you say it on the chat there, just basically like I just pointed out, pass rush is like pitching. You can never have too much. Pitchers are expensive and pass rushers are expensive. I mean, look at, remember the market last year for Jadevian Clowney? It was ridiculously overvalued and we all knew it. But because teams need pass rushers, and he he happened to be here the year before, Seahawks were the team that knew him the best, or had had the most recent familiarity with him. They would, I mean, had they paid for him, they would have way overvalued him. 
It almost seems like Alden Smith is being severely undervalued. Now, is there still a concern that maybe his behavior could head south at the, at the drop of a hat? I guess. I guess. Craig Swearingen on the chat says the Colts have done a great job with their defensive line. No one's a huge name, but it isn't about having a superstar, but creating enough pressure that so someone gets a sack. Not very many dudes have 15 sacks a year anymore. I mean, there are the, it's a good point. I mean, there are the superstars who can still do that. I mean, Aaron Donald can do it. Obviously, I mean, he could do it whether you're lining him up at nose tackle or on the edge or wherever. I mean, he's just that kind of player. He's in a little trouble for uh, an assault on some guy, I guess. Uh, that, that news just came out yesterday or today. But if you have players of an adequate skill level where they actually can break through, yeah, sure. And I mean... Do we all agree that Alden Smith is one of those guys? I mean, does it not seem strange that there isn't... I know there's a lot of guys ahead of him. I get it. But shouldn't the market be a little bit better for him? I mean, we know that sometimes guys coast on reputation... Name value and all the maybe maybe in this case, Alden Smith's name is what does him in because we were used to so often reading his name in the headlines for all these terrible reasons. And for yeah, for such a long time, it wasn't like it was when like remember Pac-Man Jones when he was getting in trouble all the time that happened over maybe a one or two year stretch and then there were a couple things later, but never as serious as they were in like 2007 or eight, maybe nine. But all the Smith's problems seemed to go on for years. Years, I tell you. Anyway, I want him back. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I have, I have an actual WNBA story to talk about. Don't leave! Don't leave! Okay, because this ties in to something else that we talk about in sports media a lot. You know that topic? Well, I'm tying it in anyway. The topic of paying college athletes for their likenesses not just for their likenesses, but for the fact that they're generating all this revenue, right? For their schools, conferences, etc. We can have the debate as to whether or not that's right, wrong, whatever. I don't, I don't really care that much. I'll say that flat out. Give them a stipend. Give them some amount of money. I don't know if it's $100, $900, $10,000. Like, you could probably talk me into anything within that range there, honestly. I don't care. And here's why. Because no matter what value you place on a college athlete generating revenue, on behalf of his school, his conference, and ultimately himself or herself, that money is peanuts 
Peanuts! In comparison with a free or mostly free education, a scholarship-based education, okay? And you got to forgive me. I am so sorry. I don't know how to pronounce uh, the woman's name. Is it is it Shini Ogwumike? That's how you spell it. I, I just showed it to the camera in case you're listening on the podcast. But she was the number one pick. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't remember. But evidently, she has built through her own, we'll say, guile, drive, education, etc. She's built a seven-figure enterprise as an entrepreneur through business ventures, speaking engagements, broadcasting jobs and opportunities, partnerships with, you know, pick, take your pick, Adidas, whoever. She's got her hand in a lot of different circles. Okay, now, could somebody without a college education accomplish that? Yeah, LeBron James can do it because he's the best out there, right? Here's my point, though. The vast, I mean, overwhelming number of college athletes, even just in the high profile sports, right? College basketball, men and women, and then college football. Let's just take those three. Okay, the vast majority of those kids are not going pro. They're not. So when I hear in debate, in sports media discourse around this issue, that the the scholarship money that's being given, handed on a silver platter to these kids does not count somehow. Like that, like those dollars aren't real. And that they don't count towards what could be considered earnings on the part of the player. That is so incredibly, you know what? I'm not going to even say it's short-sighted, okay? It's so short-sighted that it's goddamn tragic. Tragic. I'm not saying that every player who graduates from a given university is going to go on to make seven figures. And it's going to turn into one of these wonderful entrepreneurship stories. It's not that. But what if, say, in comparison to the upbringing that a lot of these poor kids come from, okay, the opportunity that that education affords them when they leave that university and they open the door into the workforce and into life as young people, young, educated, ready for the world and the economy people. And when I say ready for the world, I don't just mean that they can get a job. I mean that they're educated, uh, they're educated people who are ready to have a positive impact on the world. That's what this woman is doing. I mean, she's producing documentaries. I mean, she's she's a, a broadcaster with ESPN. But <clears throat> uh, well, what is this? Uh, 
She started working as a women's college basketball analyst at ESPN before being offered a position as a host for SportsCenter Africa in 2017. The next year, she became a full-time NBA analyst. I mean... This is unbelievable. I'll just read a quote or two from her. She says, I'm definitely not the first black woman with a powerful position, but I'm grateful to be in a space where you can hear my voice. When I go on TV, people may not know who I am. They might just see a black woman having fun, and that may be usual to people watching. What I appreciate about this position is about this radio position is radio first and foremost. So she, you know, she, ESPN's using her in all kinds of ways, but on her own. Well, who did I see she was partners with? Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, DoorDash was one of them. Adidas, AT&T. I mean, she's, this is what entrepreneurs do. Good ones. They take nothing and create something. In the same way, maybe an artist or a musician, filmmaker, whatever. They take nothing and they create something. And that something ends up being a gift to the world. Okay, not just the product, but the inspiration. I mean... The fact that this isn't self-evident is really scary. The fact that there's a person I'm thinking of in particular, but I, I mean, I've heard more than one person say this, but there's, there's a person who I know for a fact is he, uh, I don't know that he's a professor, but he may be an adjunct professor at a university. He actually defends the idea that a free education is worthless in terms of compensating a young person for their services as a basketball player or football player or whatever. It, a free education, it, 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 like not only is it worthless because they don't want it, whatever the hell that means, but it shouldn't even be factored into the equation. That's, that's what they contend. I do not understand that. We need more. Uh, look, certainly a young person who comes from maybe the kinds of impoverished circumstances that I was fortunate enough to never have to experience. Yes, a college education, it goes without saying that they're going to improve their lives. Okay, but guess what happens when they improve their lives? They help us all. Think of, I mean, this is an extreme example, but think about Bill Gates. And I actually have a guest that's going to come on next week, and I'm going to ask him about this very thing because I've heard him say it. And I won't say who it is yet, but everybody thinks that the, <laughs> the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the charitable organization, is what makes Bill Gates... Like, that's his greatest contribution. Oh, look at all the money he's gotten. He's just giving it away and helping so many people. That's not his greatest contribution at all. 
his greatest contribution is what he did in the in the uh, the software computer realm, if you will. Think about the way that that changed the world, the world dramatically. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, let's just ask me on the chat if I'm having Bill Gates on. No. <laughs> when you can, whether you invent something or you just have something as simple as an idea. Take Martin Luther King, just off the top of my head. Just an idea. He didn't, he didn't you know, manufacture a product. He didn't sell anything as far, as far as I know. I mean, certainly not on a massive scale. He was a reverend, I think, right? It could be an idea, an invention, maybe just through the sheer force of your own will. You're giving yourself. And maybe you're not even a public person. Maybe nobody knows who you are. But, but you know, by uh, virtue of various channels, somehow your skills and you, you maximizing your own potential ends up serving other people. Isn't that, isn't that so beautiful how that works? Like, instead of complaining, oh, I don't, want a, I don't want an education. I'm there to play football, man. I'm there to play basketball. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not here for an education. I, I don't want to go to class. That's not why I'm here. Well, guess what? Those are the rules. And the rules are actually there not to oppress you, or restrict you, but to benefit you in unimaginable, unimaginable ways that you probably can't even fathom at age 20. But maybe when you're 50, you figure out, oh, God, look where I've, look where I've come from. Look at this. Maybe that education has something to do with it. Now, quickly, let's contrast that with whatever dollar amount we feel like the, you know, the ACC or the SEC, the NCAA owes these players. Let's just say every college football player was given $50,000. Every college basketball player, men and women, they all get uh, 30000 College baseball, college softball, maybe they get, you know, fifteen grand. I know that that sounds like a ridiculous amount of money, but let's just say that, okay? Is the value of $50,000 to somebody's life, a 20-year-old who's never had that kind of money before, is that really greater than the value of a free Freaking education. I mean, you really think about that for a second. And, and, and again, I, I'm using uh, this WNBA player as an example. I, I'm going to struggle to pronounce it again. Is it is it Ch Chini Agumike? I don't know. I mean, she took her education. And I mean, and her athletic career and maximized the hell out of all of it. I mean, she was a number one pick in 2014. So that's seven years ago. 
What was she, about 22? So she's like nearing 30? That's an unbelievable accomplishment. And, and, and before you start um, accusing me of measuring somebody's worth in life just in terms of economics or um, I guess their, you know, their liquid value, it's not that. Okay, that's maybe part of it. I mean, if you're a doctor and you have a high paying job because you have a very specific skill, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. And it goes without saying that a doctor helps people every single day of their lives. And I never thought I would say this because, I, you know, I, when I was 20, I didn't I didn't take education particularly seriously. You know, I wish I would have taken it more seriously. I don't know. I, I don't have regrets about where I've ended up because I worked my ass off to get here. And, and I've gotten fulfillment from that. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and be, you know, hey, congratulations, Tom. It's not about that. But when somebody gives you an opportunity, a real one, to see through your full potential and make your life better, and perhaps as a byproduct of that, making all of our lives better, I mean, isn't that such a wonderful thing? Why would anybody not want that? Why would anybody issue that and throw that idea in the trash just because they want to what? Flip off the NCAA because they're just bitter and resentful? Ah, forget about the education. These kids deserve cash now. Give them, give them $50,000. Give them $30,000. Give them, give them a million. You think that, that, you know, that briefcase full of cash is going to change that kid's life? In the same way an education would, should they, you know, assuming that the kid actually applies himself. I, I, I mean, Jesus. Yeah, Craig, <laughs> Craig Swear Engine on the chat says, heck no, we didn't take it seriously. We were partying at the Bluebird. <laughs> oh, God, my poor parents. <laughs> you know what, though, Craig? Think about this, okay? When you say the Bluebird, we were we were definitely part. The Bluebird was a nightclub in Bloomington, Indiana, where we all went to school, okay? But it was not just a nightclub. It's it's a it's got kind of a storied history in in local culture there. And in the band, one well, I was in a couple of bands, but this one band I was in that Craig was kind of part of our circle of friends. We would play there all the time and we would, you know, I'd look out from the stage and I would see the type of experiences that people were having as a result of what I was doing. Now, that didn't come as a result directly of education. I mean, part of it. But, you know, I was pursuing music very seriously at the time. And I really, I mean, I almost made it as part of a band, but, you know, that didn't end up happening. But, you know, I've really I've written three albums. I've released one of them commercially. I've been paid for it. So, you know, that was another venture that I saw through. But the point is, it's not like 
when I say I didn't value education enough, like I was just sitting on my ass watching TV, you know, watching Beavis and Butthead or something. I was out doing something that meant a lot to me, that meant a lot to the guys in my band, a lot to the, uh, my friends and everybody else who ever caught a glimpse of the band I was playing in. When, you, when Craig says we were partying, he doesn't mean that people were sitting around a coffee table passing doobies around. Like, we were having transcendent experiences, unforgettable ones together that we will never, ever forget. And there was so much value to that that happened to be, you know, accompanied by the music we were playing. Okay, when you... This is another example of this. When you maximize your potential, guess what happens? Other people get to reap the benefits of that. I mean, you know, when when um, when Zion Williamson plays well for Duke, even if it's just for that one year, or, or Christian later, if you want to go back a little bit further, you know, he gives all of those Duke fans and everybody else who's watching these games a wonderful experience that. Their athletic abilities are their direct gifts to us. Okay? And they're born with all these wonderful talents. But guess what? They may have talents that they don't even know about because they don't bother to go to class and everybody's telling them that they don't have to. Oh, and not only that they don't have to, but that they shouldn't. They should focus on playing basketball and saying F you to the NCAA. That's what they should focus on. Bitterness. Because that's real productive, right? Bitterness is actually a, a more sensible option somehow. Bitterness and resentment than going to class and taking advantage of an education that's been given to you. <laughs> you know, when I saw this story, I, I knew I knew it was going to be fun to talk about. And you know, I, I know that I know it sounds. I don't know. Maybe this, the last twenty minutes of this show, sound considerably different on the podcast because you can't see the smile that I've had on my face for for much of the segment. I mean, when I talk about this, I get excited at the idea of a young person being afforded an, an educational opportunity so that they can learn things about themselves that they never even could have suspected were true. And then they, they could just take that proverbial ball and run with it. Like that gets me off. <laughs> it does. That's so inspiring. Like that makes me feel great. Like there's so much in this world, right? That we can just, oh my God, you know, Trump and racism and all that. Like people are starving and the oceans are polluted and all that's true. But think about how easy it is to be inspired when just because somebody else decided to give a shit and try. That's just beautiful. It is. And we just, we just completely, I feel like, have lost sight of that. I mean, when's the, when's the last time you've heard anybody in sports media when we talk about, you know, paying athletes, should we pay them, should we not? When's the last time you've heard anybody make the case that I just did? 
I mean, sometimes you hear the, um, like the Brock Hewards of the world say, uh, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't really emphasize the value of the education so much as he just reflects back on the experience as a college athlete, as having been compensation enough. And you know what? For him, like subjectively speaking, and probably for a lot of other kids, that's great. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that he has that, that he had that experience, that he made something of himself Based on that, you know, he met his wife there, uh, friends to this day. I mean, all these important things that he gets to carry with him. And he looks at that as compensation enough. That's great. I'm just trying to single out this other, what I consider to be a huge aspect of the story that just gets not, again, not only ignored, but willfully like thrown aside. Education, those scholarship dollars don't count. <laughs> what? Oh, man. Yeah, I, I bet Grant Hill didn't expect to be broadcasting a national championship game. I don't know. I mean, look, it's funny with Grant Hill, too, because he was he was so injury plagued throughout his NBA career. The fact that he outlasted so many of his peers just in terms of career length is insane, which is why it took him so long to get into broadcasting because he just kept on playing and playing and playing. But, you know, here he is. And, and by the way. I'm not his biggest fan as a broadcaster. I think he relies a lot on cliches and just, oh, that's the beauty of college basketball. You got to take the shot sometimes. We're back in five. <sighs> but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have it within him to get better and become somebody's favorite broadcaster. Like, you can learn from it either way. You can say, oh, he, yeah, he just sort of, you know, waltzed his way into this cushy job, and, you know, because he's Grant Hill, and he was, a, you know, he always, he never got in trouble, and he's a good-looking guy, he was a good player, famous, obviously, as a, as a Duke alum. And yeah, just give him a job, we'll pair him up with Raptory and Nance, and away we'll go, and it won't matter. You could look at that, you could look at it that way, if you wanted I'm not going to, though. <laughs> A.L. in at 73.91. You have, you're five subscriptions away. You're five away from what? From having given 50 subscriptions? Huh. Jesus. Oh, a total of 50. There it is. Again, it's not, a, it's not about generosity and just giving your shit away. It's about, the, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm not going to speak for, you know, a, a loyal listener of this show and whatever his motivations are for giving away all these subscriptions. But, you know, just as an example, I'm just going to, speculate for a second you know covid has economic has had dire and destructive economic 
impact on this country. Obviously, people are getting laid off left and right. I was one of them. Okay, but I'm I mean, I'm a public person. I'm not Charles Barkley, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, in Seattle, I have somewhat of a presence. I mean, my, my having lost my job was good enough to make the Seattle Times. So that's something. But the fact that I came right back within, what, two weeks I was doing this? I mean, Jim Morris told me. Like, oh my God, yeah, but I'm so impressed at what you're doing. Like, I should get out and do that. If, if, if I've inspired anybody to just get off their ass and stop wallowing and to stop, like, feeling sorry for themselves, which, by the way, they're probably entitled to do. But if I've inspired someone somehow, just by virtue of the fact that I've launched the show, to do something productive that's worth and our buddy Yelich here happens to see that if, if he says wow that's a great situation I'm going to give you some subscriptions see how the world's working here one thing one positive thing just feeds the other great Okay, last topic here, and this is kind of the opposite of that. At, at one point, I'm going to pull it up here. I think I had 13,000, maybe 13,100 Twitter followers. I'm down to like 12,200, something like that. I feel like, I don't know if it's a numbers thing or if it's just a change in flavor or attitude that I'm sensing on Twitter, but remember when Twitter wars used to be newsworthy? Like you jump on, you know, 2013, 2014, you jump on Deadspin and, you know, two people in the media are going at it. Like, that doesn't really happen anymore, does it? Like, I'm still somebody who will, if I see, if I see either a poor argument or a deliberately shallow argument that leaves important, relevant information out, I'll go to town on it. Like, I'm still going in for the attack. I feel like, and you guys tell me what you think, but... I feel like I see a lot less of that. Like we may have reached a point where people are just tired of engaging in that kind of like impulsive, aggressive behavior. Again, behavior that I myself have been responsible for in the past. That's a good thing, I think. But what I don't, what I've never wanted is for people to be apathetic. Because that might be where we're headed. Like this, this last decade, whether, whether we're talking about sports, politics, whatever. People cared about stuff a lot. I mean, you might, you might say that in many instances, too many instances, that people cared way too much. 
Okay. But as always, <laughs> it seems like one reaction after another to, to a paradigm shift, a cultural standard is like, is, is one, it's like one overcorrection after another. When I say people cared too much about things, it's because they felt like because they didn't care enough before, now they really, no matter what the problem was, maybe it was traffic lights. Now we, oh, we gotta fix these traffic lights. And if we don't fix them, I'm gonna throw a rock through the window of City Hall. Like that's, that's the level of thinking and action that we witnessed in this last decade. Social media, look, I know on social media, that's never going to go away entirely. But I've seen less of that aggressive debate spirit out there. Maybe in the last year, year and a half. In fact, what I see more of is people um, just posting their achievements for others to kind of. And look, I suppose I'm one of them, but I don't have an advertising machine behind me either. Like, I'm just one guy. If I don't advertise myself, nobody's going to do it for me. So I, hopefully you understand that I'm doing it for a different reason. But like, you know, if, if, if social media doesn't or goes in a direction where it doesn't really serve that purpose anymore, is it just a news source now? Is that, is that all it is? I don't know. It's just, the only reason I brought it up was because it's, it's something that's been actually been on my mind for maybe three or four months. And I've, I've not yet had occasion to bring it up. And I thought maybe I would tonight. I don't know. Well, OK, Craig, this is a good point. You're right. Jason Whitlock and Clay Travis still go after people. As does Jamel Hill, I guess, on the other side of the political spectrum. There are people who still do it. But whereas in 2013, we would all look at that and say, look, fight, Twitter war, all right. It was like a cool thing. Now, I can just see the look and hear the tone of voice that people have. It's like, oh, God, Jason Whitlock again. Jamel Hill again. You know, it's Clay Travis. What, what are you doing, man? Like, it's, it's just one of those trends, like every other trend that's come before it, that's run its course. Maybe. Maybe. I, I haven't done the, um, the field research to measure this, but sometimes, you know, you, like, I'm on, I'm on, Twitter a lot, obviously, because of what I do. And after a while, you be, you become attuned to the zeitgeist, like the, the overall sort of tone, the tenor of what's going on around you. You just notice things. And I just noticed a shift is all. I don't know. Oh, yelling at you're asking why I'm wearing an Oriole shirt. Pretty simple, actually. I was uh, I was bored, and I was on the internet, and somehow or another, I came across a picture of this very jersey, this T-shirt jersey, 
Hall of Fame switch-hitting first baseman Eddie Murray. Lethal hitter. Devastating hitter in his day. I said, you know what? I don't own anything orange. I'm buying that thing. And now I'm wearing it as much as humanly possible. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so funny. You know what? This other thing uh, I didn't really talk about. <laughs> Hold on, let me pull up the article. Uh, where is it? Where the hell is it? Oh, I thought I printed it out. Maybe I didn't. Ah, look at that. Bad producing on my part. Um, Russell Wilson and Sierra, his wife, they're both, they're doing more or less like public service announcements to encourage people to get vaccinated. I was just, that's fine. I think that's cool. I mean, I'm on a waiting list to get vaccinated myself. I am wondering though, like, For anybody who wasn't planning on getting vaccinated, would you do so because Russell and or Sierra encouraged you to? I mean, it'd be one thing if like, you know, <laughs> if they came over to your house and knocked on the door like a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses and said, hey, you want to get vaccinated? <laughs> you know, maybe in that case, you'd say, hey, you know what? You make a good point. I'll do it. But. This just seems like one of those issues where you feel so it's like it's like guns or abortion. You feel so strongly about it one way or the other that even, you know, Seattle's little prince and princess isn't going to be able to convince you to do that. I don't know. What do you think? You would have settled for I was bored <laughs> with the T-shirt. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, cool again, cool on him to do it. I'm just going to, like, keep doing money. I think we need, I mean, we need more people, in my opinion, even though I'm not an epidemiologist or a, a chemist, and I don't, I don't actually know the molecular compounds involved <laughs> in this vaccine or what it's going to do now or what the effects are going to be in 50 years, 30 years. I don't know. But guess what I'm doing? I'm risking it. I've made worse decisions in my life than this. I would encourage other people to do it. But if they're not going to, I'm not going to waste my time. And I'm just curious if uh, if anybody thinks, uh, you know, if, if you weren't going to do it, if you heard somebody who you really respected come out and say, hey, you got to go, you got to go get yourself vaccinated, if that would change your mind. Yelnich says, uh, you're not a chemist. I take back all those gifted subscriptions. <laughs> I know I've been telling you every week that I'm a chemist. I'm sorry. I, I let that slip out. Ha! Craigie. <clears throat> Craigie, you were going to get vaccinated, man. Don't lie to me. You're not, you're not doing this just because I told you to. <laughs> and I didn't tell you to. Hmm. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, look, I understand that people, look, 
celebrities, you know, authors, filmmakers, musicians, whatever. I understand that people have influence over the way we think. I mean, these, you know, individuals th through the power of ideas, ideals, have the power to change culture and change thinking. I mean, we see, like, in, in my lifetime alone, over the last 41 years, I've seen it shift, like, four, four or five different times in really significant ways. So, and, you know, vaccinations being one of these polarizing issues, I just wonder, you know, I wonder if it's one of those things where if you saw Russell or say you're a huge fan of Sierra and her music or whatever, if they came out and said, hey, we really need you to get vaccinated, if that meant you'd be like, yeah, all right. For you, Russ, I'll do this. I don't know. Ivana, Ivana Trump? You mean Ivanka or Ivana? You mean Trump's ex-wife or his daughter? She posted a pic of her getting vaccinated and people killed her for it. Who Oh, you mean her like, like a far-right extremist killed her for it? You know, I've never really considered the anti-vax culture to be necessarily right-wing. Now, maybe somebody knows better than me, and they have the numbers on this, where maybe, you know, if you start doing Venn diagrams, you do an anthropological study, maybe they tend to be that way, I don't know. But I, I just wonder, wh why would, what is it about being a far-right-winger that would turn you into anti-vaccination? Maybe just you don't want somebody else messing with, you, the individual, so you say, stay away from me. Maybe that's what it is. Oh, his daughter. Yeah, Ivanka. Hmm. Interesting. Today was a great show. I think I'm going to, if I do say so myself, thank you to you guys. You guys were great. Good thoughts on all this stuff. You know, again, when you guys participate on the chat, it helps me to kind of further the conversation. You know, I mean, I, I suppose I could do it on my own if I had to, but you guys are definitely going to think of things that I haven't, especially when I'm, you know, midstream here. So thank you so much. So, so, so much. Yelich on it again tonight. Gifted everybody subscriptions. <laughs> We're going to have to gift you something. Craigie Swearingen, as always, bringing a head full of reason and great memories of the Bluebird nightclub from the go-go late 90s. It's a wild time. We remember the 90s the way like our parents remember the late 70s, you know? Like discos and cocaine to them were nightclubs and what, pot to us? I don't know. Every generation's got their thing. My mom's probably not going to be happy to hear that. You know, I never smoked that much pot. Just to be, I, I don't know how I ended up on that topic right there. I just kind of went. And Craig, you can verify this. Like as much as I partied back then, and I did my share. Maybe too much at times. But every, our whole group of friends was just like probably 50 or 60 people. Every one of them was always walking around with like a joint in their hand. I really never, I did for like maybe the first year I was in Bloomington, like, you know, 97, 98-ish. But 
it, it the drug itself always made me um, like nervous and paranoid and uncomfortable. So after a while, I was like, what the hell am I doing this for? I don't really like it. So after that, that was it. It's like, I'm you now I'll just find other things. Hmm. Yeah. Something like that. All right, guys, take care. Ha- have a great day. Enjoy this week. Just this wonderful week of weather. I'm going to go out sailing at some point, I think. I'm going to keep wearing this Oriole jersey, though. That you can bet on. I'm air keyboarding. All right, see ya. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.